Well, this guy's plan was to become a spy or maybe a professor of Russian history. Instead, he became a best-selling thriller writer. He was the winner of the Strand Critics Award for Best Novel for Buried Secrets, which was published in 2011. He was also the winner for the International Thriller Writers Award for Best Novel for Killer Instinct in 2006, and the winner of the Barry and Gumshoe Award for Best Thriller for Company Man in 2005. Good morning. This is Greg Grasso with Chapter One, and uh, today we're talking with a very intelligent and I think brilliant writer, Joseph Finder. How are you, sir? Good, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Joseph, I received your book, uh, Suspicion, which is your uh, latest novel. My 11th book. 11th book. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I did a little research, and I started started reading uh, thrillers years ago, but there are so many authors out there. I'm just finding my way to great authors like yourself. And um, I understand that Suspicion is kind of a departure novel from your other stuff you've written. Um, yeah, I mean, my, I've written a couple of series novels. Um, my last five or six novels or so were sort of called corporate suspense, which really meant they were regular stories about regular people, but they took place in corporate settings. This one is a, a story about a regular guy who's a writer in Boston, who gets himself into a great deal of trouble. So it's sort of, it's, it's, it's not corporate, it's, it's highly personal. Oh, highly personal, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, I didn't have to do any research, you know. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, I mean, the, Dan, <laughs> <course>. the, Danny, <laughs> the hero, Danny Goodman, is a writer, and I made him a writer, of course, so I didn't have to do that, you know, that much research. Yeah, right, right. Well, um, before we get into the book, why don't you explain, because I, I'm absolutely fascinated with guys like you who start off on one track and then uh, end up as a writer. What, mm-hmm. what brought you to write, Joseph? As you know from talking to other writers, there is no one path. And we all decide at some point in our lives we want to try to do this thing. Mm-hmm. For me... I was actually, I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, but I didn't think there was a way to actually make a living at it. And it, actually, it's not that easy. Uh, so I decided I wanted to, I, I was reading novels by Robert Ludlum and sure. loving them. Absolutely. And I decided this would be a cool thing to do, go work for the CIA. Well, what, it, what I learned, and I, I became a, a Russia expert, studied Russia and Soviet politics in, in college and then in graduate school, what I learned is that is that working for the CIA is not like being Jason Bourne. You basically are not given, you know, a Swiss bank account and, and fake passports and that sort of thing. It's a it's a very much a, a bureaucratic job. It's an organization job. You've got to basically know how to work within the corporation and I, I sort of figured this was not my skill set. I I was afraid I would actually just piss off my bosses. I knew this wasn't the right place for me. Yeah, I like that. I like that honesty. Are you a maverick? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I think a lot of writers are. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're doing something which is which is unusual. You're sitting alone in a room making something up, or, or if you're writing fiction, uh, and there is a lot of writers tend to be pretty, you know, contrarian. Sure, and and also reclusive. I know that uh, Deaver likes to lock himself into a dark room um, mm-hmm. after he's done eight months of outlining and then start writing the book. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm actually not a recluse, really. I'm I'm a pretty outgoing person, mm-hmm. but um, you need to have that kind of that still silence in your life if you're going to write. You've got to basically be able to sit alone in a room with your own head, with your own thoughts, yeah. and not go crazy. Yeah. Now I understand you. Um, this is very interesting. I read that you learned Farsi before you learned English. Is that true? My yeah, yeah. My my dad was a Fulbright scholar, so he was going around the world setting up centers for teaching English as a second language. So when I was a little kid, they moved to Kabul, Afghanistan. My parents were gone during the day, so I was sort of raised by the servants, and the servants spoke only Farsi. And I was learning languages. That's, that's when I was learning how to speak. And I learned to speak Farsi from them. And there was a time in which my parents could not understand me because I was speaking a foreign language. So eventually I sort of I learned English as well, and I served as their kind of you know, little kid translator. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's kind of neat. And, and how old were you when you lived in Kabul? From when I was around two years old to from when I was around six. Oh, wow. Okay. So you, you get some pretty good memories still, uh, yeah. I, would, I would think. Yeah, um, very different place now. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. <laughs> um, you uh, you went to Yale and I did, uh, yep. Harvard. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, all the brand names. Yep. All the brand names, right, right. So what have you learned? Uh, okay, let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, you seem like a, a an extremely intelligent guy, well-read, um, disciplined, uh, yet... You know, like you said before, you, you've got this streak in, in you where you could piss people off pretty easy. I like that yeah. myself because I'm <laughs> I'm from the East Coast and I kind of tell it like it is. And sometimes yeah. I have to put my foot in my mouth and say, "You yeah. can't do that. You've got it. You've got it. You know, if you're going to work in a company, you've got to know how to be political. You've got to know how to get along with temper people. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Oh Christ. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's get into the book Suspicion for a little bit. Okay. okay, you've got this uh, writer, Danny Goodman. Yep. Um, he's crafted uh, how? How did you craft this guy through yourself uh, or? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the the mystique of being a writer, you know, it, it, it's a great job, but in in fact, there are stresses and difficulties in in writing for a living, and I decided to take Danny as a as a as a writer character, um, and show the sort of stresses that he is going through. He's got his agent who's pressuring him. He's got his publisher who's pressuring him. They're threatening to cancel the book. He hasn't delivered a manuscript. And, you know, when you're a writer and you don't turn in that book, you don't get paid. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I really, I sort of, you know, I based Danny a lot on on my own life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you base it on your own life. Uh, what's going on with the Mexican drug cartels? <laughs> well, you know, um, I... I loved the TV show Breaking Bad. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I began to realize, you know, I'd, I'd written books where, you know, we had Russians as the villains, uh, spies, etc. But the Mexican drug cartels are actually the scariest of all villains because they are, they are ruthless. They will, they, nothing will get in their ways. and No law, nothing. They, in Mexico, they own politicians. Mm-hmm. You know, they... Uh, uh, they're they're sort of sorry. I lost my train. Of no, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Yeah, okay. They're not politicians. They're uh, bloodthirsty, self-centered. Uh, yeah, I power mean, these, you mongols, know, uh, 
I, you know, some, I, I was talking to the DEA agents who are my sources in the book, and they said, you know, go on YouTube mm. and put in Sinaloa Cartel Beheading, which I did. And I said, oh, my God, there was a video there. It was a terrifying video. And this is the kind of level of ruthlessness that you rarely see anymore. And, and it's, you know, I took a situation in which I took an ordinary guy and put him up against a Mexican drug cartel, and I knew it was going to be scary. Yeah, very scary. Uh, he'd have to be pretty resourceful. Yeah. Did you go down to old Mexico? Uh, uh, did you walk the I streets? I didn't. I did not, no. <clears throat> okay. I didn't. Um, but I I talked to people who are Mexican. I sort of created my my characters mm -hmm. from talking to people who lived there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you mentioned DEA agents uh, slash friends or whatever, contacts. Yep. Um, uh, this... This brings up another uh, uh, writer, David Baldacci, who sure. uh, lives in the uh, Washington area. Um, I think his office is adjacent to Homeland Security, and, and he's got this network of uh, these agencies mm -hmm. that he plays off of and gets information from and yep. kind of crafts the character around that way. You seem like you do the same kind of thing. Yeah, I do. I mean, from from early days when I was considering going into the intelligence business, mm -hmm. I, I got to know a number of CEA, CIA officers mm -hmm. um, who became sources of mine. And one of the things I learned is that if you are writing fiction, people in the CIA and NSA and places like that are far more likely to speak to you than if you're writing nonfiction. If you're a reporter, you're kind of a threat. You have mm -hmm. to be careful. If you're writing fiction, they'll talk to you because, you know, everyone likes stories. Everyone, and, and, and it's completely safe for them to talk to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I understand your daughter played a part in uh, uh, inspir yep. inspiring you to write this book? Um, yeah, I mean, basically, being a dad is what, got, is what gave me the idea for Suspicion. Uh, my daughter was, when I was writing the book, was was a teenager. She's now 20. Um, and I sort of discovered this whole world, the world of being a parent, the world of, of you know, she, go, she went to this, this private school in Boston where you, I met, I had friends who were among parents there who, who ranged from hedge fund billionaires to people who had no money at all. And I just thought, what an interesting sociological experience this is to sort of take a parent from a private school. And I was a public school kid, so it was all kind of alien to me, mm -hmm. and and to play off of him. Yeah, yeah I think it. I think it worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so you got one one child. One child. That's it. Okay, and she's twenty. Thank. Uh, congratulations yep. on making it through those teen years. <laughs> she actually, you know, I used to tell friends of mine in interviews, I'd sort of make a joke about how she sort of rolls her eyes at me and thinks I'm uncool and all that. And she, one day, she finally just called me on that and said, "You know what? I do not. I do not roll my eyes. I like your books. I don't call you uncool. Cut it out." I said, "Okay." <laughs> I remember my daughter rolling her eyes all the time. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's a very intense period of time, you know, being the, fa the father of a teenager. It's a very stressful life, and, and the life of a teenager these days has gotten even more stressful with all this pressure to apply to colleges. Yeah. Uh, and it was not that way when I was a kid. No. Um, I'm 60. I don't know how old you are. How old are you? Yeah, 55. Okay, so same kind of range. You grew up in mm -hmm. the 60s and 70s. Uh, um, I've got two kids. Um, 
what scares the hell out of me, to be quite honest, is is technology nowadays. Hmm. Um, well, yeah. only because I had to learn it. And the fact is that our children are growing up with these iPods in their hands, you know. Yeah, that's right. And it's a different world. You know, I used to have to go to the library or I'd have to talk to people to do yeah. any kind of research. And so so when I say scary, um, what what bothers me is a lot of these young kids think that everything on the Internet is, you know, real. Is real. It all, it's all true, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, back in the day, you basically, you'd go to the library, you'd read a book. If you liked the book and you wanted to write a letter to the editor, rather a letter to the author, rather, you know, you'd write a note, you'd send it off to, you know, name of author, care of, Little Brown, publisher, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, it would get to the author months later. Mm-hmm. It was almost like putting a message in a bottle. Now, you want to contact an author, you find their website and you click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And there it is. Everything's yeah. out there. Yeah. Wow. Hey, um, you, um, you've got a unique style in that um, you write like a lot of great authors where you write in a uh, kind of a movie sequence. Um, this is how I found your book. Um, hmm. little, little snapshots. Okay. Very descriptive. So I'm, yeah. able, to, I'm able to build these, this movie in, inside my head. Yeah. And um, it plays out like a movie in my head when I'm writing it. You do? Oh, really? Yeah, it does. Oh. In fact, I don't start writing a book until I have what I call the movie trailer of the book in my head. Oh. You know, when you, when you go to see a movie trailer and they give away all the best parts, right. um, I sort of, when I'm, when I'm writing a, a book, I need to sort of imagine the high dramatic points, uh, get them all together. Once I've gotten that, then I start writing. So I sort of think of the book as being a movie trailer. Right. Yeah, I um I noticed that um, your books, um, from a uh, let's see, from a marketing standpoint, your books are very dynamic as far as uh, the covers are concerned. Yeah, you you've got that movie play into the into your uh, covers, which to me. Um, that shows that your publisher and you are, you know, are, are have thought this thing through very carefully. And, yeah. And I like the fact that all your books uh, grab you immediately. I mean, the cover grabs you, and then you go in. Yeah. Um, uh, I've had some really good covers. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you get involved? You know, some authors get involved. Some authors just say, "Hey, take care of it." Yeah. I mean. Um, as I got more successful, my my publishers were more willing to listen to my input on covers, and my my last publisher was was very open to my ideas. My new publisher is very open to my ideas. Um, I sort of think of, you know, sometimes book covers should look like movie posters. Mm-hmm. You know, they should sort of grab you at once with an image. Right, right. Yes, I was in advertising uh, early in my career, and. Uh... That, that's one thing I learned uh, as I walked through the aisles in the supermarket. I'd see yep. packaging. That's uh, right. There's a reason why Cheerios is still yellow. There's a reason that's why right. the Tide is still the same way. And it's similar with authors. I mean, you know, you, if you're going to read a David Baldacci book, you kind of you pick it up. You know what you're getting. You know the basic kind of book it's going to be. Yes. And yes. that's called branding. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you've done a great job. Um Hey, why don't you why don't you do me a favor? Because I found I, I started reading the other day Paranoia, okay. Yeah. And the reason I started reading Paranoia is because 
I'm kind of one of those uh, uh, guys that uh, it has been extremely uh, troubled by and, and tormented, let's say, through my entire adult life on how man uh, has the capability of just devouring man. Um, mm-hmm. We we've got these alter egos um, that sometimes come out, and um, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just trying to get into your head as you mm-hmm. wrote Paranoia. Um, yeah. How did you how did you pull that one off? Because uh, it's just exciting to me. I mean, it's it's a corporate kind of uh, uh, thriller, but but there, there's a lot of there's a lot of tweakness in there. I mean, uh, uh, mm-hmm. so so how did you how do you, how do you develop a story like Paranoia? I mean. Well, so I basically start with the concept, you know, what if, and, you know, in the case of paranoia, it's what if some young guy who hates his job was forced into being a spy for the company, a corporate spy, and I got the idea originally from from a CIA friend of mine who told me that more money and, and more resources were being expended on corporate espionage than on state espionage, and I thought, a corporate spy, that's interesting. So I basically had the, the what-if idea. Then at that point, I talked to experts. I sort of say, well, what, you know, I, I get ideas for scenes by talking to experts. I say, well, what, what if, you know, how would this actually work in your job? How would this work in reality? In the case of paranoia, I, I flew to California, and I went to Apple Computer and Hewlett-Packard and companies like that. I walked around with a notepad and talked to people and got ideas for scenes. Wow, brilliant. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, he, uh, your character, uh, Adam. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He was a low-level employee. Yep. <laughs> and he he got into this, uh, um, and then and then his life turns upside down. Now I suspect that if you're in the intelligence business, any kind of intelligence business, you you kind of go in with it. Blindly, you kind of go in, uh, you know, with uh, uh, with ambition. But mm-hmm. once once you get inside, um, as many characters are portrayed, it, it's a totally different world, as you indicated before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what? Okay, I've got a better question for you. Sure. I, I ask all you guys this question: <clears throat> you, What do you see? What do you see happening? You know, you you write corporate espionage. You write. Uh, um, I think of myself as writing like regular guy stories, regular people who get caught up in extraordinary okay. circumstances. Thank you. And the world, uh, the world's changing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a uh, there's not only an economic gap uh, in today's society, but there are uh, big companies buying up small companies. Big companies get bigger. Uh, they have more influence. Um, right. Government seems to be changing, mm-hmm. um, and yet we still go in. Uh, the you know the our government goes in and you know tries to you know put their footprint all over the world, uh, whatever right. reason they say. But I, I ask every author who writes the stuff that you do: um, 
it it seems like we're not learning anything, man. It seems like we're we're making the same mistakes. It seems mm-hmm. it seems like we're backing we're backing uh, regimes and individuals uh, uh, with the aspiration of we're going to get something down the road. But then again, five ten years later, after we supply them and train them, they turn. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, just like Afghanistan. Exactly. Um, uh, we had the Ayatollah and Saddam. Uh, yep. Dynamic in the seventies, uh, we decided to back the Ayatollah. Mm-hmm. Uh, blah blah blah. Right. Um, do you look at the world that way, or do you not pay attention to it? I I pay a lot of attention to the world. You know, I'm just sort of having having studied Russian studies and, and Soviet politics. Right. Yeah, you know, I read the newspaper. I I have people. I, I you know, for example, the NSA spying. Um, I had a friend who was involved in in some of these programs who told me about it and was sort of blowing his mind at how much the NSA was able to do, how much the NSA was able to get on people. And when it came out, when when Snowden leaked those papers, you know, I said, I, I, I knew about that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So nothing, nothing's really, uh, nothing really... Uh throws you back. I mean, uh, you kind of see it coming, don't you? Um, No, I mean, you know, in some cases, yes. Uh, My feeling is that, you know, when I talk to experts and they're willing to sort of tell me their predictions, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm willing to listen to them, I sort of learn things that way just by sort of being open-minded. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense also. Um, Threat. Uh, where do you see where do you see the um, uh, who do you see as a threat on the horizon? Uh, I've talked to authors like Larry Bond, who uh, uh, who has been fixated on China um, mm-hmm. for the past few years. Sure, and, I'll tell you what I think. One of the big threats is, is Putin. Oh, please, yes. Putin is basically like like Stalin in the old days, like an old dictator. Only he doesn't even have. Um, any restraining. He doesn't have a Politburo to tell him what not to do. Mm-hmm. I think that Putin is 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 kind of a scary guy. I agree. He's uh, he's the old guard. Yep. Um, he an old KGB guy. Old KGB guy. Uh, I've watched him over the past year play uh, play with uh, our president. Um, I think he set us up. <laughs> Uh, I think he's trying to make a move um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> economically. I don't know whether Russia can pull it off. Uh, I know that China can pull it off economically. Um, but but I see footprints with Russia just like I saw during the Kennedy years growing up in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. I, I, see, I see this footprint, you know, getting larger and larger. Um, but but again, that brings me back to the question: uh, Aren't we ever going to learn? I mean, why do we? No. Keep, why do we keep going down this damn trail? Yeah, I, I, there's a problem with the American system, mm-hmm. which is that you know we elect new leaders every four years or every eight years, and there isn't really much of an institutional memory. And the power sort of resides in the White House, and the people who sort of are dealing with foreign countries in the State Department, for example, or the CIA don't really have the power. They have to sort of listen to whoever the boss is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually, that's not an ideal situation. 
no, basically, not. you find you're not, you don't learn from people's mistakes. You don't learn from, the country doesn't learn from its own mistakes. You know, you, the, uh, Vietnam will happen again and again. Yeah, yeah. Are you a vet? No. Okay, okay. Although I did go on a USO tour a couple of years ago. You went on, uh, you went Operation Thriller, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I um, I talked with uh, Andy Harp uh, a couple yep. of years ago. He's yep, the I went on a trip with him. <clears throat> yeah, he started it. Yep, and, um, he did. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I love it. Actually, I, I haven't contacted the guys who just went on, uh, let's see, we're up to Operation Thriller 4, right? I think yeah. Thriller 4 now. Um, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I talked to Sandra Brown and got her yep. take on it. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was, I think, the first one we sent over there. Right. I'm on the board of something called the ITW, the International Thriller Writers, yes. um, which is a collection of all these writers. Yes, uh, I'm very familiar because I'm trying to get myself to New York this uh, July, I think. Oh, to go to Thriller Fest? Yes, yeah, Steve Barry. Uh, I, I know yep. I know Jeff Deaver very well. And, yep. um, uh, he Jeff's put, a friend. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I love Jeff. I've talked yeah, to him a too. dozen times. He's a, a great guy. He and I share a lot because we both cook and, yep. uh, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, um, so Steve Barry sent me an email last night and said, I'm going to get you a press pass. So. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I want to meet you guys because yeah. I want to expand. I, I want to look in your eyes. It's it's hard yeah. talking to you guys. You know, I can't see you. Um, right. Um, I've got a. You should bring your tape recorder. You know. Yeah, I should. I should yeah. actually. It, it would be a kick, especially after some some booze. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go to some of our parties. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so, so <laughs> yeah, I hope to see you. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I hope so, to make sure that we, we meet. I, I need to meet you guys. Um, yeah. I, I love I love reading. Uh, Joseph, Joseph, I I, um, I read as a child. I was interested in uh, the Sherlock Holmes stuff and the Scotland yep. Yard stuff and uh, grew up with Man From U.N.C.L.E. I wanted to yep. become a spy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was I gonna, love Man From U.N.C.L.E. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to go to the Navy Academy. I had a, yep. um, my father knew the governor of Connecticut at the time, and uh, I was going to go on this track. And uh, but I ended up going into the service in the early seventies. I was a corpsman, and uh, huh. yeah, had a great ride. I I, I was in the operating room uh, uh, as a surgical assistant, and really, and, and, yeah, yep. And I was on a little island called Diego Garcia. <laughs> A uh, little spy uh, station out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. That was fun. That's right. Uh, yeah, we were glassing the Russian trawlers. They glassed us. <laughs> oh, it was cool. It, it, it was, what, is, uh, what a great experience to have. Oh, huh? the 70s were great for me. Yeah. Absolutely great. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, uh, I I need to meet you guys. I'm getting more and more calls from publishers and publicists. Yep. And, and I'm getting... You'll love it. It's a great occasion, Thriller Fest. It really is. I hear it is. I'm there the whole week. I hear it. Fantastic. All right, yeah. real quickly. Um, yep. Who are you all about? What do you like to do? Uh, how do you calm down? How do you, how do you relax? How do I relax? Um, uh, if I, I basically work out. Um, and I find that if I, you know... But I find that when I go home after a long day of writing, I'm actually quite relaxed. Mm-hmm. Because there's something about making it up, about sort of, you know, dealing with the right, my right brain, mm-hmm. that I find really satisfying and really relaxing. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
You got any hobbies other than... Uh... No, I don't. Okay. All right. Uh, I mean, you know, writing is kind of my hobby. All right. Well, hey, that works, too. Uh, <laughs> that were, No, really, that works, too. I, uh, I started talking to you guys four years ago. I started this show, and uh, I, uh, this is my hobby now. I don't get paid for this. I do it on uh-huh. my own because uh, I'm absolutely fascinated. I, 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 uh, and the thing that's great about Thriller Fest is writers are cool. I mean, they're all, they're all, you know, they've all come up from their own, they've all made their own careers. They're all kind of contrarian. Yeah. Um, it's a. I really love getting to know my fellow thriller writers. It's a great bunch of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I want to meet Lisa Gardner. Oh, she's terrific. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I've interviewed her, and she'll be there. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. She's a great. Great kid. I think. Yeah. Well, look at uh, Joseph Fender. His new novel, Suspicion, uh, kind of a departure novel. It's personal to him, um, or inspired. Uh, by his personal experience, um, uh, very good read. Uh, another Thank great cover. And uh, Joseph, yeah. I uh, appreciate the time. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to get you back on the air and talk absolutely. about your other books. Um, yep. Just give me a little time to read them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got, I'm looking forward to meeting you at Thriller Fest. Um, I, if, if, I can, uh, if the press pass comes in and my boss authorizes yep. the, uh, uh, the plane fare, I'm there, man. Yep. Fantastic. Well, Steve will make it happen, no question. That's what I feel. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Joseph, thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Great talking with you. All right. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.